You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Bloodgroove, Torso and Pinches, Ironside, M.D., Jacob, Griffin, Scuttlebutt, Matt, Roger the Jolly, Hartman, Gingrich, Lisa, Clan Roland, Bigbeard, Willie P., Schmarls, Buggy the Clown, Leslie the Spice Chonger, The Admiral Benbow, Misfit, Madame Anita, Chairboat, Cannon Monkey, Axios, Gunsway Sally, Pitlock, Artemis Killmeister, The Sextant, Jack of the South Seas, Lost Again, The Navigator, Governor Roop, Gin-Soaked Jim, Workman, Rum Runner, Skipper, Sawbones, Scarlet Dawn, Hayfay, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. The Indian city of Calicut was one of the greatest cities of the medieval world. It was the prime city of the Malabar coast, and it was a trading hub integral to much of the world's international trade. Calicut has its roots deep in the ancient world. They shipped goods as far as Rome and even Britain, But as ships improved in the Middle Ages, the city really became a powerhouse. All of the goods of Southeast Asia, the silks and spices, they were all consolidated in Calicut prior to their journey to everywhere else in the world. The High Middle Ages, what we understand in the West as the High Middle Ages, that was really Calicut's golden age. Marco Polo stopped by on his travels, as did a host of grandees from all over India, naturally, but Persia and the Ottoman Empire and China. The people of Calicut built these huge Hindu temples that have been compared to the architecture of the height of Imperial Rome. But everything changed on the 20th of May, 1498, when a Portuguese explorer and conqueror named Vasco da Gama arrived at the city. Despite the gifts that da Gama made to the king of Calicut, he was denounced by the Arabian merchants there as a pirate, and the king chased him off. That's an inauspicious beginning for da Gama. But he had rounded the Cape of Good Hope successfully and begun to establish the Portuguese empire, 
couple of years later he would return with a fleet. Almost exactly a century after da Gama conquered the city of Calicut in 1602, the king of the city, and, you know, I'm calling him a king, but his proper title is a Zamorin, well, that Zamorin invited the Dutch East India Company to build a factory in his kingdom. This was a move made by the king against the Portuguese who were there. And in fact, this was the very first Dutch treaty with an Indian ruler, and we talked about this event when we talked about the Dutch East India Company. It was a huge strategic maneuver in the ongoing Eighty Years' War. But, well, you know, the diplomatic and the religious implications of these moves in India get way too esoteric to spend much time on here, but in a move that would shock everyone in Europe, England arrived at Calicut with an armada in 1615. The English East India Company built their own factory, and within just a few years, both the Dutch and the Portuguese no longer had a presence there. Calicut became the company's main center in India, until, somewhat later on, they acquired Bombay. And as the 18th century loomed, it was still one of the most important trading hubs in the world, as it had been for millennia. And at the beginning of October... 1697, a galley arrived just offshore. Captain Kidd had come to Calicut. This is episode 263, A Lousy Dog. Calicut is important to the story of Captain Kidd. Now, he's not going to spend a lot of time there, a bit, but not a lot. But it's the backdrop to all of his most notorious actions. It's the closest large port city to everything that he's about to do. When the adventure galley arrived in Calicut, they were not welcomed into the city, and Captain Kidd did everything right here. He anchored outside the port so as not to be threatening, he had his king's jack flying high, and he sent a boat ashore with men instructed to announce his presence and to ask permission to collect wood and water and food. Food especially, that was becoming something of an issue on board. But the messengers that he sent to meet with the president of the factory there, well, they were just refused. They were sent packing. Adventure Galley was not permitted entry into the harbor. And this upset Captain Kidd, but once again he did the right thing. He wrote a letter. I'll read it in full here since it's pretty short, and since we have so few of Kidd's actual words during this period. Captain William Kidd wrote to the president of the factory at Calicut, quote, I can't but admire that people is so fearful to come near us, for I have used all possible means to let them understand that I am an Englishman and a friend, not offering to molest any of their canoes, so thought it convenient to write this, that you may understand who I am, which I hope may end all suspicion. I came from England about fifteen months agone, with the king's commission to take all pirates in these seas, and from Karawar about a month agone, so I do believe you have heard who I am before this. All that I come for here is wood and water, which, if you shall be so pleased to order me, shall honestly satisfy me for the same, or anything that they'll bring off. 
which is all from him who will be very ready to serve you in what lieth in my power. End quote. And I've just got to take a second here to admire the colonial speech in that passage. I love it. When he says that he can't but admire the people being fearful of him, he doesn't mean admire. He's saying, you know, I can't help but notice that these guys are acting super weird. The recipient of that letter was a Thomas Pinning, and Thomas Pinning had heard of Captain Kidd. According to his associates in the company, Captain Kidd was a pirate. One of those associates is a man we've met before, Charles Perrin. He'd been one of the two men that had climbed aboard the adventure galley back in Karawar, one of the two sent to snoop around. It was Perrin that had managed to clandestinely speak to a few of Captain Kidd's crew and said that those men had told him they intended to turn pirate. As soon as Captain Kidd left Karawar about a month agone, Captain Perrin sailed for Calicut, where he had a job lined up as the captain of the Thankful. The Thankful was a privately owned coastal trader, but it was owned by the president of the Calicut factory, Thomas Pinning. The president of the factory was Captain Perrin's new boss, and it was probably Perrin that had had so much to say about Captain Kidd, that he was indeed a pirate. And Captain Kidd was about to prove it. You know, I tried to make the point that up to now, Captain Kidd had been playing by the rules. He had not lost his temper. But here he's about to make a rash decision. Captain Kidd led a party over to the Thankful and boarded her. The crew was captured immediately. It wasn't a very large ship, but Captain Perrin was sent to shore to speak to Thomas Pinning. Perrin relayed to Pinning a note that said, quote, You deserve to have your ship burnt for refusing me wood and water. And you know, Captain Kidd is a man with a lot of faults, but I don't, I don't see that he's wrong here. Over and over again, he's tried to legitimately ingratiate himself with representatives of the company, and over and over again, he's been denounced as a pirate. And for all that, you know, he's made some mistakes, but he hasn't actually done any piracy. You can begin to see why this would start to get a little bit infuriating. All he wants was wood and water and food. But we won't ever know if Captain Kidd intended to go through with his threat to burn the thankful. The two men were in a bit of a standoff here. Captain Kidd was waiting for a response, but then sails appeared on the horizon, heading right for port. Now, Captain Kidd couldn't have known it yet, but that ship was indeed an East India Company frigate, a ship that most certainly would have attacked him. So it's smart here that Captain Kidd, upon seeing those sails, made the decision to flee. When Captain Perrin returned to the Thankful, which had been in the hands of a man that he believed to be a notorious pirate, he found the ship was unburned. The crew were all alive and well unharmed, and the cargo had not been touched. Not that there was much on board anyway. Once again, Captain Kidd had been rebuffed. He was running out of places to buy food. So it was decided that their best chance to find some supplies was on the open ocean. Captain Kidd headed back out to sea to hunt for prey, Frenchmen or pirates. After a few days, with men scanning the horizon with their spyglasses, finally they spotted sails. 
Captain Kidd ordered the men to put oars into the water, open up full sail, and head straight for that ship, and the crew collectively crossed their fingers, hoping that this would be a prize they could take. They really needed it. As they got closer and closer, it was pretty clear this wasn't a very large ship. It wasn't going to be full of valuable plunder, but they might have some food and water. Kidd was watching through his spyglass for any sign of who she might be, and then the ship raised an East India Company standard. She was English. Adventure Galley raised their own flag, announcing their Englishness, and then they moved in closer, but only to greet the ship they weren't going to attack her. Kidd hailed the smaller craft, and her captain put a boat into the water to sail over to the galley. He turned out to be a Captain Howe of the Loyal Captain. Captain Howe, when he climbed on board the galley, was all smiles. He brought over a case of Madeira wine, and when he realized the situation that the men of the Adventure Galley was in, he even offered some of his own food and water, some supplies, so that the men of the Adventure Galley wouldn't starve. Captain Kidd told some men to row on over and collect these supplies. No funny business, mind you. And then the two captains raised a glass in the name of the king. This, in Captain Kidd's estimation, was more like it. What William Kidd did not know, and probably never learned, was that all of this was a ruse. There was no malicious intent behind it, but Captain Howe had heard of Captain Kidd. A few weeks prior, he'd been at Johanna, off the coast of Madagascar, and he'd met with Captain Gifford, who has now met with Captain Kidd twice. Gifford warned Howe about this pirate roaming the Indian Ocean, and Howe, realizing whose ship he was on, was trying to charm this pirate, kind of buy him off. And Captain Kidd was lapping it up. He loved it. Meanwhile, those men who Captain Kidd had sent over for wood and water returned, and they had the wood and water. It was very welcome. But they also had news. The ship was filled mostly with goods bound for Bombay. You know, wine and food from home, that kind of thing. Just the sort of things that Englishmen in India might want to purchase. Nothing too valuable. But there were two passengers on board. One of them was Greek, the other Armenian, and both were quite well-dressed. Now, remember that at this point in time, both Greece and Armenia are under the umbrella of the Ottoman Empire. A rumor began to spread among the men of the Adventure Galley that those two were carrying chests brimming with gold and rubies and pearls and diamonds. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel! 
Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Now, it's ever so slightly possible that they were indeed carrying some sort of unfathomable valuables. If so, it was probably some form of tribute or payment from someone in the Ottoman Empire to someone in the Mughal Empire. You know, maybe they were clandestine agents sent on this innocuous English merchant brig sailing incognito, right? Deep cover. But that's a very slight chance. Probably there was nothing on board the loyal captain beyond a few purses of silver. Either way, the men of the adventure galley were salivating at the thought of rubies and pearls and gemstones and gold. And one man on board began to organize those who really wanted to go ransack those chests. That was William Moore. Now, we should remember... William Moore as one of the pirates who signed up back in New York City. He'd done stints in prison in both Barbados and New York for piracy and smuggling, respectively. And he was one of the reasons that men like Captain Perrin just knew Captain Kidd was a pirate. Somehow, even though the guns were supposed to be locked up, William Moore got his hands on nine muskets and distributed them to his confidants. They were preparing to board the ship's pinnace and head on over to the loyal captain to ransack her. But that's the kind of thing people notice. Some of the crew who were still loyal to Captain Kidd confronted these would-be pirates. At first it was all, hey, where do you guys think you're going? But before long, people were yelling back and forth and then fighting. Now, it was just fists, no guns, and it doesn't look like blades were pulled, but that's bad enough on board. Captain Kidd rushed on deck and literally began pulling men apart. And it's important here to remember that Captain Kidd is a big guy. He's tall and broad and strong. He's a rough-tongued, brash Scotsman. And it was actually his physical presence on board that served as something as a bulwark between the prospective pirates and the rest of the crew. They were all scared of him. Nonetheless, once this fight had been broken up, William Moore confronted the captain. He said, You ruin us because you will not consent to take Captain Howe's ship. Captain Kidd stared him down, shut him up with a glare, but he did realize that measures needed to be taken. So Captain Kidd called a council on board. Everyone was called up on deck, and Moore announced that he intended to take that English ship, all of the diamonds and rubies, you know the score. But they put it to a vote. It must have been a tense moment. This was a vote on, yes, taking that ship, but also kind of a vote on Captain Kidd's legitimacy here. And two-thirds of the men voted to take her. But Captain Kidd nonetheless did not consent. He said, I will not take her. But he couldn't stop his men from going over to ransack that ship. If they wanted to do it, they were going to do it. But Captain Kidd said, 
If you desert my ship, you shall never come aboard again. I will force you to Bombay, and I will carry you before some of the council there. And it's an interesting thought. You know, what if those guys did go? If they had, and, you know, found chests full of gold and rubies, Captain Kidd would have attacked them. Because his job was to hunt pirates, and here we go. There's some pirates. But I am curious, do you think, had all of that happened, do you think Captain Kidd would have kept the plunder that those pirates captured? After all, that was his right as a pirate-hunting privateer. But all of that, it's a moot question. The men backed down here. Now, I should be honest here. In their testimonies down the line, the crew gets a bit confused about exactly when or where some of these events took place, and that confusion has led to other confusion among historians. Everyone agrees that this altercation did take place, and everyone also seems to agree that it could be characterized as an attempted mutiny. But some of the men think that what is about to happen happened due to the presence of the loyal captain. But in this version, in my version, and the one agreed to by both Richard Zacks and Jan Rogozinski, the loyal captain sailed away after this initial attempted mutiny. And then about another week passed with the adventure galley sailing around looking for ships to capture. But then, just off the Malabar coast, yet another set of sails was spotted. And again, Captain Kidd ordered his men to give chase to close the gap. Captain Kidd pursued this other ship for the better part of a day and got close, but then a calm overcame both vessels. Captain Kidd spent about an hour watching that other ship through his spyglass, he was trying to guess what nation she might belong to. They were mostly a white crew, and it was clearly a European ship, but that's all that he could guess. They could be French, they could be pirates, or they could be neither. And that other ship was not going to raise her colors in this situation. The adventure galley was still well out of range, so don't announce yourself quite yet. Why... Show your hand so early, what if that other ship is hostile? You know, that other captain was watching the adventure galley through his own spyglass, trying to suss out who that ship might be. But while he was watching, Captain Kidd gave an order. All of a sudden, ports opened on the side of the hull and oars poked their way out. They dipped into the water and started moving, and all of a sudden, that unfamiliar ship was lurching toward him. Since her sails were still hanging limp, that other ship realized this might be a dangerous situation. So she took a gamble. She raised her standard. And Captain Kidd spotted it immediately. It was a tricolor. Orange on top, and then white, and then blue. It was a flag that Captain Kidd recognized, although you might not recognize that flag from the description. It was first used by privateers we talked about ages ago. The Dutch sea beggars were the first to raise it during the Dutch Revolt. It was the standard of their leader, William the Silent. Now, by 1697, the Dutch Republic had adopted the more familiar red, white, and blue 
tricolor, but the orange, white and blue, was still in use as a naval flag. It seems to have been a, you know, kind of a nod of respect to the first Dutch Navy, those sea beggars. But of course, that flag had particular currency during the Nine Years' War. William III, King of England, was also the Prince of Orange. All of which is to say that this was a Dutch ship and therefore off-limits to the English, including the adventure galley. When the men made moves to attack, Captain Kidd said no, she is our friend. But some of the crew, in fact, most of the crew, just ignored him. They began sharpening their swords, and at least one case literally sharpening his sword. Captain Kidd confronted these would-be pirates, saying, You that will take the Dutchman, you are the strongest, and you may do what you please. If you will take her, you may take her. But if you go from aboard this ship, you shall never come aboard again. It's that same threat that Kidd had made about a week back. And you know, it sounds almost like Captain Kidd is giving kind of a tacit permission here. You know, sort of like, go, fine, I don't want to deal with you anymore anyway. But if you take that ship, that's your new ship. Which, for some of the crew, that was fine, but most of the crew paused. This ship, and the loyal captain, while we're here, neither were great vessels. They were fine merchant craft, but they were slow. They weren't sleek or fast or well-armed. That made them excellent prey, but not excellent ships for burgeoning pirates. And if they took that ship, they would most certainly suddenly become prey for the company. So one of the Dutch sailors on board the adventure galley proposed a plan. He said, I will put Captain Kidd in a way to take this ship and come off fairly. Now that's odd phrasing, but he's saying he had a plan to seize the ship where Captain Kidd would come away looking innocent. His plan was terrible. He proposed that they go ahead and capture the ship. They put the crew under guard and then steal all their cargo, at which point they would force the crew to sign a note saying that this was not, in fact, piracy. Just, I don't know, a friendly exchange of goods. Captain Kidd was... Dumbfounded, he said, this is Judas-like, I dare not do such a thing. And William Moore, the gunner, the leader of that attempted mutiny, he was sitting off to the side, still sharpening his sword, literally. But at this point he chimed in, saying, why? May we take this ship because we are poor? And Kidd ambled over to Moore and stared him down, telling him to keep quiet. Then... Captain Kidd called William Moore a lousy dog. Moore replied, If I am a lousy dog, you have made me so. You have brought me to ruin, and many more. And Kidd erupted at the gunner. He screamed, Have I brought you to ruin? I have not brought you to ruin. I have not done an ill thing to you. And then Captain Kidd did a very ill thing to William Moore. He reached down, picked up a bucket, a big, heavy wooden bucket with iron fittings, and smashed it against William Moore's head. The gunner crumpled to the deck. 
According to one testimony, William Moore then uttered quietly, Farewell. Farewell, Captain Kidd has given me my last. According to a bunch of testimonies, Captain Kidd was standing over the body with his bloody bucket still in his hand, and he said to the man, Damn you. Then he raised his eyes, staring down all of the men who had been following William Moore, who were now staring in shocked astonishment, and said to them, He was a villain. Dr. Bradenham took William Moore below decks where he could be examined and treated. The doctor noted that while the flesh wound was minimal, the skull had been fractured. The doctor wasn't going to be able to save him. William Moore spent a night in agony and expired the following morning. The crew all gathered together and fitted a cocoon of sailcloth around their fallen comrade. They stitched it tight. They lay his body on a plank, lifted him up, and dipped him into the sea. This killing was a turning point for Captain Kidd. When the time comes, the king's prosecutors are going to prepare a special indictment just for this murder. But that concern is still a couple of years off, for now, Kidd had much more pressing concerns. He'd crossed a line, killing one of his crewmen, a leader of a faction that opposed him. Captain Kidd knew, thanks to that vote, that two-thirds of his crew were willing to turn pirate. And he knew that they knew that if they were going to do so, they would have to do so armed. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show. All of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings or reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show. You all make it possible. Thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, like Ben Franklin's World, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. You can find them at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, most importantly, thank you for listening. Tonight